can make a woman cringe just by entering the room. He owns five different styles of fedora. When he orders at Starbucks, he always gives a fake name. He claims he dated a model, but her only modeling work was an ad for her dad's car dealership, and they never had sex. He can sort of break dance, and he accidentally sent a photo of his penis to the guy who just delivered his Chinese food. He is the son of the most interesting man in the world. That's the voice of Los Angeles-based voiceover artist Jeff Reckner on Saturday Night Live. Just one of the many network television voiceover gigs he's landed over the years. Originally from Edmonton, Reckner had a career in radio before moving stateside and carving out a niche for himself, voicing everything from commercials and cartoons to acting as the show announcer for upcoming NBC game show Small Fortune. He's our guest on Broadcast Dialogue. The podcast talking about the evolution of his voiceover career, why your own marketing is vital, and more. Hi, I'm Jeff Reckner. It all started in a small 5,000 watt radio station in Fresno, California. Uh, no, that was Ted Baxter. Uh, I, I was close. Uh, 10,000 watt radio station in Peace River, Alberta. And uh, Peace River, Grand Prairie, Moose Jaw, Edmonton, Vancouver, 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 Red Deer, Vancouver, Tokyo. No, wait, I think it went Red Deer, Tokyo, Vancouver, 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 some more. Uh, then became a voiceover person, voiceover person, back to radio, Vancouver, Vancouver, Los Angeles. Living in Los Angeles for the last 14 years doing voice work. I think we've covered the gamut of my life. There, we're done. Well, I mean, you had some pretty significant stops, though, in radio. I mean, you were the first afternoon drive host on the original Jack FM station here in Vancouver. Tell us about some of the other stops that you made. After my grand entrance into radio in Peace River and uh, Grand Prairie, moved to Moose Jaw. Back then, God, this is so long ago, CHAB and Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan Super 8 was like the place to go. It was the training ground for all of what was Moffat Communications back then in the 80s. So we had these incredibly gifted people all looking at each other going, what on earth are we doing here? And they all sort of trained for the methodology of what they were looking for from their people. And those people would sort of graduate from our little AAA farm team there and Moose John wind up in you know, Winnipeg or Calgary or Edmonton or Vancouver, and I wound up going to Chad and Edmonton, which was a big deal back then. Uh, not to suggest it isn't a big deal now, but of course it was a music station back in the 80s, and it was, you know, like, the number one listen to radio station west of Toronto. And so it was pretty cool to be at Chad at the time, and that was hometown for me too. So worked at Chad for about three and a half years, and then got the afternoon gig in Vancouver at LG73. Worked there for a year and a half before winding up doing the morning show at Fox. It was the Bob and Jeff show, pre-Larry and Willie. And the Bob and Jeff show, uh, the Bob half left to go work for another station in Vancouver. And uh, wound up back at LG doing afternoons. And that kind of kept me busy through the 80s into the 90s. And then did a little bit of television, did a game show that nobody cared about. And uh, kept uh, in on the periphery of radio. Wound up actually... uh, 
doing what ultimately was my dream job, uh, doing hockey play-by-play in Red Deer. Right. You And you were the first announcer for that team. Isn't that right? Red Deer Rebels. Yeah, first one. Uh, and uh, which is kind of cool, not only cool to be, you know, doing something first, but also we only had three announcers in the history of the Red Deer Rebels because I did it for four years. Bruce Buchanan, who had done the Oilers broadcast for a long time, I was actually programming the station as well. So I hired him because I didn't know anybody else at the time and I needed to fit somebody in who could just do the job um, because I was leaving. Then Bruce did it for, I think, a year and a half. And their current guy, whose name completely escapes me, and uh, I'll kill myself here because I can't remember it because I know who he is, um, has been doing it for the last like 300 years. And he's he's a, a legend in Red Deer in the Western Hockey League. Cam Moon. Sorry, I couldn't, sorry, I didn't remember your name initially, Cam. I've watched Cam's videos and I've watched all the accolades and tributes to him because he's been doing it since, well, what, 1998, I guess. So he's been on there forever. So tell me about the transition into the voiceover world. Was that natural? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. The original transition, it, it, you know, because when you're in radio, you're doing commercial work anyway. But the, the transition to, to make it into a um, massively larger living wage than what you're doing commercial-wise in, in radio is the expectation is you cannot sound anything to do with radio. So the, the, you will just be dismissed outright when they go, oh, sounds too radio. I mean, I don't know how many years I heard the phrase, well, that sounds too radio. There is a, um, a, a voice coach and, and consultant here who uh, I've spent too much money getting better at my gig with over the years, Maurice Tobias, who said, well, that's serviceable. I, lo- I always loved her attitude. Well, that's serviceable, but meaning you're not anywhere close to where you need to be. So, so transitioning to something much less radio dominant and much more conversational and much more acting oriented was the most massive challenge. And I'm continuing to try to get there. And I've been doing it for like 30 odd years now. You're originally from Edmonton. Is there still that advantage to being a Canadian in the voiceover world? There would appear to be one because there's a lot of us in the business. Oh, that's, a, that's a tough call. I, I don't know if there's an advantage, but certainly uh, because it does reflect that sort of Midwest neutral sound that a lot of people are looking for overall, particularly in the announcing realm. Yeah, I think there is a bit of an advantage because there's there's like a, a handful of us from Canada all living here in Los Angeles. And one of them I know has gone back to New York because he likes snow or something. Um, but it's it seems to be a draw. That said, half the work I do here these days seems to me doing a, a sort of Sam Elliott Southern draw, which has nothing to do with what I am, but it certainly pays the kids college. So I'm not complaining, but yeah. So I, I don't know. The short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> so working with that talent coach, is that, do you think the thing that sort of elevated your career. I found this interview that you did with the Vancouver Sun back in 2007 from back when you first moved to LA and you talked about successive goals, starting with doing affiliate TV work and then network promo and eventually movie trailers. Is that how you built yourself up in that world? I guess we kind of did. And and I think part of it was, it's, 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 
it's a little sneaky, but really uh, presenting demos to people of work that you've done does not necessarily get the work that you require. So in, in the process of working with Maurice, it was, we're going to find your niche and also fit it into what the trends are. She's a, she's a, a, a very good listener to what trends are hitting in terms of promo or trailer or commercial or narration because they come and they go. And if you're paying attention to those sorts of things, then we literally created demos that reflected that. So uh, I, I would literally get job offers going, well, we like the voiceover you did for that particular film. And of course, I'd never done that film, but the voiceover sounded professional and it fit and it was all the great facade, but they knew what I was capable of doing. So to answer your question far too long, I took advantage of those demos and that training and that propelled me to that next level. So let's talk about some of the work that you've done. The reason we're talking now is because you have a new gig coming up as a show announcer for an NBC game show, Small Fortune. But you've done everything from uh, narration to, I don't know. <laughs> everything. Yeah, I know. It covers, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever anybody throws at me that, you know, I can spew words out. Yeah, it's it's. It's, it's, it's some, it's because there are some people here who are literally, and this is very prolific in Los Angeles. If you say you're in voiceover, they go, oh, so what animation are you doing? Because that's a lot of what goes on here. And a lot of people do that work and do it incredibly effectively. And I'm just barely on the periphery of that because I, I just get the occasional little video game thing here or a little, you know, yeah something you know like I, I wound up on the cutting room floor of a mom episode last week you know these, these kinds of things that they paid me though so that's good but but yeah I, I covering everything but for my situation yeah it's it's more of uh, just yeah it, like you said there was a long pause because you didn't know where to head to but yeah it's narration trailer promo and uh, commercial uh, video games you name it whatever whatever's handy well, most recently, you've been doing the promo voice for The Simpsons on FXX. Right. And then you've been doing something called Being Pretend Will Arnett. <laughs> Tell me about that. The, I, I only, the, this seems to be my, my only claim to fame, is, is that I do reasonably good reproductions of voices of people you either don't know or you don't care. And so there are the two Wills, Will Arnett, and Will Lyman, hey, Will Arnett's Canadian, there's your tie-in. And I wound up doing a voice match for GMC. They needed a voice back years ago now that would sound something in the vein of Will Arnett. And so consequently, he he's the uh, national voice of GMC across the United States and Canada. And I am the retail voice and occasionally national voice when he's off being Lego Batman or whatever. So I, I do all that stuff. And again, you know, pays for the kids' school. That's nice. And so when when auditions pop up that say, well, we need a Will Arnett-esque voice, uh, the agents go, well, we, we know the guy that does that. Same thing with Will Lyman. Will Lyman is the voice of Frontline for PBS and probably more famously for being the voice of the Dos Equis campaign, the most interesting man in the world. Well, I, I happen to share the same agent with Will. And they said to me, you kind of could sort of do kind of a Will Lyman thing right? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And they said, okay, well, because everybody wanted to do parodies on the most interesting man in the world. And Will's not going to do that because 
he is the voice of that. So you needed somebody to be doing him. So consequently, I wound up doing the fake Dos Equis commercials for uh, everything. For it wound up doing stuff for the Tonight Show, uh, Saturday Night Live, a trailer for a Puss in Boots movie, Bill Maher. It, it went on and on and I, I did that for like as long as that was trendy. I was the voice of uh, the most interesting whatever in the world. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I wind up doing a lot of Will stuff. I feel you're underselling yourself because your resume is really long. And, you know, The Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel, Ellen, you know, you've narrated something within the context of almost every late night show. You talked about your agent. How key was that in getting some of this work and getting to that next level? And I'm asking because I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who would love to get into network voiceover work Vinny, Vinny. i just that was my plug for Vinny, my agent um i i think that that's probably yeah vital for the next step but if if people are actually paying close attention to this and actually care it's your own marketing that is i i think vital because and it's and it varies from person to person because i, I know some people in this industry who kind of sit back and go hey, going to bring stuff to me but i i'm too paranoid that everything's going to fall apart so i'm constantly on the phone or emailing or haranguing anybody i can't go please hire me for something and uh more times than not especially in los angeles which kind of shocked me because uh with no disrespect to vancouver it's got a sort of provincial mindset in that oh we already have our guys and i'm like okay well what do i do now whereas here i started making phone calls the minute i got here and everybody's like hey cool man uh send me something uh we can probably find something for you and as it turns out you start to learn that everybody is like that here everybody's pitching to everybody else about something else and hey we can make some money off of you kind of thing and i got a lot more work here in a shorter span of time from calling people if not actually the work at least i was getting their interest and and they were you know letting me try to get the work and that was pretty cool right from the get-go so yes the agent is is vital to get some of those really important things but certainly uh along the lines of the less important things a lot of it just came from me just literally cold calling people are you living the dream out there in <laughs> la or were you pre-pandemic like i what i wonder is for a voiceover career does geography matter anymore no, I don't think it does. There's a hugely successful um, voiceover actor who sadly recently actually had a stroke. He was only like 56, 57 years old. And I hope he does well. He, he has the same agent as I do. He's based out of Kansas City. And he was doing everything. He was like Yoda in all the Star Wars animation stuff and, and a billion other things. And he's based out of Kansas City. And I, I know, I you know, I pay attention to him. I, I read my broadcast dialogue. And, and there's people out of Calgary and Vancouver and, 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 you know, ironically, I haven't seen that much out of names out of Toronto, but I know they're doing it, but it, it doesn't matter where you are. The advantage I have here in Los Angeles is, is kind of twofold in that there are things that you have to be around here for, uh, like the game show I did. Although I'm sure that if you were brilliant and from Vancouver, they just fly in, but it's helpful to be here. And it also still to, to your question almost has that cachet. Cause you go, Hey, you must be living the dream, living in Los Angeles, doing voice work. And I think there's a, a, a certain percentage of people that go, Oh, he's in Los Angeles. So he's serious about what he's doing. And that gives me a little bit of a leg up on somebody who may be elsewhere. And it doesn't mean I got any more talent. It just means I'm, 
hyping myself a little more and paying more for real estate. Has the narration and voiceover market changed, do you think, with home studios becoming more prevalent, especially in the last year with the acceleration of work from home? Yeah, actually, back to Canadians, we had a big advantage years gone by because the people, when we came down here to LA, it was like, what are these people doing driving to auditions? Everything was, everything was from our home studio in Vancouver because you're doing work for, you know, New York or, or Tuscaloosa or, or wherever, and you were doing it remotely. Whereas here, it was all about going into studios. And there were a lot of veteran voice talents who were quite baffled by the concept of having to set up shop at home and do their work the way the rest of us had been doing it for 10, 15 years. Yeah, it's it's definitely accelerated. The, the, the challenge, of course, is to wade through the suddenly unemployed radio people who go, I'm a voice guy now. So I think that you're getting probably a lot more people trying to do the work. And I guess I'm kind of fortunate in that I have built up a client base over the years. So they ha- <laughs> everybody hasn't completely undone what I've tried to do and usurped my powers. But uh, there, there's definitely more of it. And I, I guess if you were just one of those people going, I should go into voice work right now, uh, you may feel daunted. But I'm also thinking that, you know, the, uh, the, this sounds hackneyed, but the cream will rise to the top. So you, you'll you'll be fine. Just be patient. Do you have advice for the vast number of unemployed radio folks who might be <laughs> looking at this as an as a viable option? Is it a viable option? And and what do they need to take it to that next level? I think it's an ex- extremely viable option if you are willing to treat it as the mundane job that it really actually is in a sense. I think a lot of people sort of, and I see this from the actors in town because I've shown up at auditions rarely because I do most of them from home. But when, when, when our agency required me to be in there once in a while for like group voiceovers, I'd pop in and go, Oh, hi people. And I I would listen. And there were a lot of, people that just kind of had their toe in the voiceover industry. They were actors and they were doing other things sort of, and it was treated as kind of a, well, you know, this is something that'll enhance my, no, uh, it, I mean, like I, I'm up at, literally at six o'clock in the morning cause I got Eastern clients and I'm usually done. I'm not, I mean, it's sometime at 10 30 at night, I kind of, you know, wrap up because whatever comes, happens and along the way i'm working kind of around the clock to try to get more work so if you go into it understanding that it's a job like any other rather than well this is kind of a cute thing and peripherally i might get involved i I think you're going to benefit from that and just the sheer volume of practice you'll have you're going to improve so tell everyone where they can tune in to hear you on small fortune which is coming up in May, and some of the other stuff that you have on the go. Oh, yeah. Small fortune. Announcer boy. Little Royal Howery is your host. You know him as a stand-up comic and maybe possibly uh, best of all as the sort of the hero from the film Get Out. He is the host of the show. I am the announcer who talks too much. It runs Monday night starting May 31st, 10 o'clock on NBC. Check your local listings in Canada. And uh, beyond that, I'll just keep doing all the nonsensical stuff that I continue to do, voicing promos and commercials and 
I don't know, whatever else, like I said, pays the bucks to get the kid through school. Do you have any parting thoughts, Jeff? I rarely have thoughts, parting or otherwise, but thank you for having me. And uh, uh, it's it's kind of um, odd reflecting on something that is as uh, basic as having a job and people actually want to hear parts of it. And so that's kind of cool. So again, thanks for having me. Thank you. for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Alison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.